Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we've got a very innovative person on today for the post-COVID time and the COVID time and uh, a social worker, which is, I know is near and dear to your heart because you teach at Columbia at the Social Work School. So do you want to introduce our guest today? Sure, I'd love to. I'm Matt David Hargrove at the Association for Deaf Educators and Counselors at their conference this year. And as you said, mom, he is a licensed social worker and bereavement counseling professional with Ohio's Hospice Life Care. And he did something very innovative during COVID. He offered Chats with Dave, which was a support group held through video conferencing for the staff at Ohio's Hospice Life Care. And like you said, we're going to talk today about dealing with grief post-pandemic. Welcome to our show, Dave. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's an honor to be here. Great to have you on today. There's a lot of residual damage with uh, with COVID because families, I'm sure that you saw in hospice, have not been able to follow through on the grieving process or did not end things the way that they had hoped. Is that what you saw during the pandemic? I like the way you worded that, um, the, the damage. And I like to say, and I tell people that there are layers of grief that we are dealing with as a society. And so the the pandemic just exasperated and and laid bare um, some of those layers and is continuing to disrupt uh, our functioning. This this topic is near and dear to my heart personally because my father died October, 2020. (laughs) And I, it was in the middle of the pandemic and, you know, I wasn't allowed to see him. And Mm -hmm. as he's, his uh, health deteriorated in the hospital. I was not allowed in there, even though I had had COVID for all the reasons that we weren't allowed to see people. And so it was really difficult being, you know, I live in New York, he was in California. I would fly out to California, hoping that I would be able to see him and it never happened. So, you know, it's complicated. It, it, it was difficult not being able to say goodbye in person. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry that you had to experience that. Unfortunately, there are so many people that um, experienced that kind of mm-hmm. loss. And there are, when I think about the layers uh, of grief and the impact, the uncertainty of being able to visit, the uh, uncertainty or the inability to um, have those those memories and uh, the opportunity to support or just be present, um, those things create a a barrier to integrating the loss and the grief experience. And so some might use the word closure. um, And if we define closure as integrating the loss, being able to make meaning, to connect, then we can use the word closure. Um, but grief is something that we, we need to integrate, and uh, those losses are things that we need to uh, process. 
What is your thought about not being able to physically be close to somebody? That's the category of, uh, of grief that we call living losses. And a living loss is, uh, I define a living loss as a loss that, um, that someone experiences when there is not a death. The thing about living losses are they create the same internal grief response uh, as a death loss it can. And so, and examples of living loss are um, that in the, the pandemic created this environment, but that disrupted sense of normalcy. So in, uh, in before or pre-pandemic times, uh, if we, if our loved one was, was sick, uh, or if we desired to visit, um, it was a simple or fairly simple, straightforward process. Uh, we made the travel plans. There are a variety of options. Uh, and then we, we were there with our loved one to have that physical contact, uh, to be that support and to experience and share in their journey. During the pandemic and post-pandemic, for people to not um, for us to not be able to hold someone's hand or be physically present uh, created a, a, a significant level of distress. There was a, a lady in her mid, uh, mid-30s that I was uh, privileged to, to serve who, uh, pre-pandemic, and she had aging parents, her and her husband as a part of their family routine, she said every weekend, they would go to her parents' or in-laws' home, and they would play cards and, and have a meal and just a social time, uh, about six people, um, small group, intimate group. Well, once the pandemic hit, they made the choice uh, to not visit because of the underlying health conditions and so on. And so for a full year, they had uh, Zoom visits and phone calls, but uh, or they would pass by when their uh, her in-laws were on the porch. Those kinds of things, but the contact and the intimacy um, that was disrupted for a whole year. Well, uh, shortly after that year mark, and um, I think this was before. It, the, the way the timing felt, her father-in-law, who she was very close with and described as a father figure, um, he did uh, contract COVID and he died because of COVID. And, and so in the process of my work with her, not only did she lament not being able to hold his hand and visit and be supportive, uh, his decline was, was fairly rapid. But she lamented that entire year. And her one of the quotes was, if I had known how this would end, we would have played cards. We would have continued to visit. And so that's an example of the importance of human contact. And this pandemic season um, created rip, there are ripples that we felt and will continue to feel for a while. What can we do? I mean, if we didn't have opportunities at the end to physically say goodbye, to, to hug my dad, to hold his hand, to be physically with them. There are things that are very helpful. And uh, often the framework that I like to use uh, in the work that I do 
uh, William Warden's Four Tasks of uh, Mourning. And it's a framework, as you well know, it's not a formula, um, but the idea is that grieving uh, people uh, have these four tasks to work through. And uh, the idea is that working through those tasks will lead to grief integration and a reduction of symptoms. Um, that's the idea. And so uh, those four tasks are uh, accepting the reality of the loss, processing the pain, adjusting to a world uh, without our loved one. And then the fourth task, which is often most difficult, is how do I uh, establish and maintain an enduring connection with my deceased loved one as I move forward? So that, again, that's not a, a checklist that a person can say, okay, I've accepted. Um, now I, you know, I'm uh, adjusting to a life without them. It's not a one, two, three, four, but emotionally, uh, psychologically, uh, we are working through those tasks and um, it's not in order necessarily, but those are things to work through. And what I encourage people uh, to do uh, that, that have experienced um, uh, and, are, and are working through the kind of loss that, that you are, where the norms of, of grieving and comforting and processing were disrupted. Now, I encourage uh, you and people in that place to find those things. There's not a one size fits all, but find those things that are meaningful to you, um, that remind you of and give a sense of connection with uh, your deceased loved one. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, in, in my case, and this is not a, a pandemic loss, um, but uh, my father, uh, who uh, was my role model, and, and he, uh, he passed away many years ago. Um, but I have, um, whenever I smell Old Spice, that was my dad's go-to aftershave. And um, so much so, I purchased, and this was a, years ago, but I purchased me a case of <laughs> Old Spice aftershave. Uh, this is about an enduring connection and an example of something that might be meaningful. To me, Old Spice was that. Well, yeah. one of the things that I would do, um, and I have a, a, a shirt of his, and I would put Old Spice on that shirt and there's a t-shirt and I on special days I would wear that t-shirt underneath my clothing and that smell gave me a sense of connection for some people that scent might be uh, too intense but it could be uh, a special meal that your loved one liked uh, it could be a special song uh, there there are songs there's music that give that sense of connection and sometimes initially those connection points may be overwhelming and overstimulating. The key is finding those things that work for you that are both meaningful uh, and also something that you are able to, um, I say tolerate. It'll be a mix of, of pleasure uh, or joy because of the memories and sadness because of what's lost. But there are things that give and provide that sense of connection. 
So I'll pause there and see if that makes sense. I, I, I love these ideas. They're really great. And uh, coincidentally, my father-in-law who died many years ago, his favorite cologne was also Old Spice. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking because of what you're saying, I, I think I'm going to give my husband Old Spice for Christmas because <laughs> he will love it. He will love having that reminder. Of course. So, but yes, I love the tangible. I love the ideas of what we can do. I had a brother that died at 17 in a car accident. And several years ago, my mother gave us teddy bears and they were made out of his clothes. And he was a big New York Jets fan. And so the teddy bear was his favorite New York Jets sweater. Oh, so, nice. and every time I see it, I think of my brother because he wore it all the time. Yes. So it was really impactful. I mean, it's the one thing in my apartment that I care about. <laughs> it's like the only thing I care about. This was my brother's favorite sweater. And so oh. it was made into a teddy bear by Carrie Bears. She's out of Utah and she makes them for people. And I oh. love it. It's my favorite. And I get to hug it and I get to think of my brother. <laughs> I, I know some people oh, yes. make, make uh, things out of neckties and clothes and all sorts of uh, things, which is wonderful. There was a positive to my husband's death in that um, we were able to have a funeral for him. Oh. And uh, we also have the tradition of, you know, seeing the body. So Heidi was able to go to the funeral and see the body and, you know, be with family. So there was at least that piece. But I think that's one reason that she's as far as for, you know, uh, looking at Warden's work. What about these people who didn't even have funerals mm -hmm. or just Zoom? What about those folks? There's another layer of loss in, in that living loss category. Um, not only did they lose their loved one, but the they lost the opportunity uh, to mourn them uh, in traditional ways. And, and so that is a layer of grief. And so a part of that, uh, as with all of the grief uh, processing that I do, I encourage people to find what is meaningful and what works for them. And so as I share ideas, um, maybe someone listening or you know they may get a spinoff or they may think ah this won't work exactly but um it, it may open up opportunity so i encourage people that i support that as i share ideas um it needs to fit for you and and there are things out there that will if someone did not have the opportunity um to have a celebration of life or attend a traditional funeral service, it might be meaningful to have a, um, a version of that. Um, so for example, there's a, there's a family that I know who's in that very, uh, the very situation where they did not have a, a funeral service and, and it's their family's tradition to have that service with a viewing of the body. And so there were members of the family, ironically, who were comfortable with that. Um, the traditional funeral service is distressing to them. But the, um, the person that I was privileged to support, uh, a service would be meaningful for her. And many of her, her mothers, it was her mother that, that passed, her mother's friends would ask, are we going to do something? 
So here we are about a year and a half later per, post death. And she asked that question. And I said, okay, if you were to plan a celebration of life at this point, if, what kind of things might be meaningful? Just going through that process, mm -hmm. she was able to identify things in a traditional service that would not be meaningful and things that would. Um, and we processed key members of the family, same question, what kind of things might be meaningful at this point in a celebration of life? She walked away and we walked away through that process with a service it was not held in a chapel. Um, it was held on their property. They had a wonderful property and uh, a, a wooded area. And so that was set up. And um, it, it was there was an opportunity for people to leave notes, written notes, a note to um, her mother that would be uh, that would be burned symbolically as passing the message on um, and then a note to the family of a special memory so there were separate containers uh, but anyway the, the service they came up with a service that had the best aspects to to the person i served of a celebration of life service and eliminated the ones that um, that were not as meaningful mm -hmm. and um and this was something that the family commented on that was very helpful for them. I really like that. I like the family being able to come together on that intense level mm -hmm. after that experience. I mean, they were able to come together with a real focus on that individual, which is great. Don't you think, Heidi? Yeah, and I think it shows that it's never too late to go and have a memorial service for somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, and in general, hospice. I know the hospice where I serve, and hospice organizations in general uh, have uh, memorial services or butterfly release things like that mm -hmm. throughout the year, which might be a good opportunity for uh, family members that didn't get to have a funeral um, and didn't get to memorialize their their fam their loved one together. Um, there are uh, organizations like hospice that provide those opportunities. Uh, and I encourage people to explore that in their communities. You know, I love that there's a butterfly release too. That is such a great ritual. I'm just thinking that even if the person was never in hospice, I would assume you could call your local hospice and find out when there are events going on that you could come together to uh, deal with grief and loss. Would I be right about that? Absolutely. Um, my my role with uh, with hospice is for the primarily for the community bereaved, and and I do see um, hospice families that are bereaved, but only the complicated or complex cases. So my primary role is for community bereaved and people whose loved ones were not a part of the hospice programming. Uh, and so I imagine that all across, you know, all hospice organizations would provide um, opportunities for anyone that's grieving. Right. Well, before we end the show, do you want to give us uh, maybe a couple of uh, tips for someone who is grieving right now, the loss of a loved one? Uh, yes. Um, I, my encouragement, uh, my first statement is grief is, is not a choice. 
Um, it's a natural response to loss. So the things that, that um, you feel and they might be feeling um, are normal and not a choice. Um, but I would encourage them to not just nurture a loss orientation um, because what they've lost and who they've lost is significant. But I encourage them to take stock of what remains, the, the people, the things in their life um, that have value, take stock of those things as well. And as they begin to embrace a, a journey of healing and a time of processing their grief, um, do that in the context of the people, the relationships, and the values and things that are still present that matter. Um, and in that way, you find the motivation to, to do the difficult work of processing grief. No, oh, well, thank you. Those are beautiful words. And thank you so much for being on the show today, Dave. Thank you for this opportunity. Have a good day. Thanks. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for all the hope that you're giving so many and for everything that you've done during the pandemic and are continuing to do for grieving families. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on this show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.